0: a couple of weeks ago we began our lampstand series in which we were reading about god's specific instructions to moses and how he was to build the tabernacle where the israelites would worship while they were camped out and living at mount sinai god left nothing to chance he gave specific instructions about every material that was to be used how it was to be used what it was to be made of the dimensions everything down to every component That was going to be included in the tabernacle including the lampstand the lampstand was to be lit and maintained in the holy place to burn always as a reminder of the glory of god and then we considered what is it about the lampstands of our lives what are they constructed out of uh, do we even know where they are how are we using them are they lit upon what are they reflecting in any way do they reflect the glory of God and then last week we considered how it is that the lampstand that's maintained in its proper place can empower us to be peacemakers and so this morning we light it once again a reminder that it is to be kept in its proper place reflecting the glory of God as we consider how Jesus calls us to relate to one another you know that the timeless cartoon strip peanuts has One particular cartoon where Lucy and Snoopy are in conversation. and Lucy says to Snoopy, she says, you know what, Snoopy? She said, there are days that you just really bug me. And there are days when all I want to do is hug you. And Snoopy and, and that persona that he has says, well, you know, that's me. I'm huggable and I'm buggable. And we all know people like that relating to others can be challenging you know it was mark twain who said having hung out with good people i understand why jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners relating to others can be challenging especially when you think about the diversity that exists within our culture today. Growing up in eastern North Carolina, any conversations about diversity centered around race, black and white. That doesn't even begin to encompass the conversation today because it is extended beyond black and white because we still don't have that one correct. It now includes many more racial components be it Native American, be it Hispanic, be it Latino, or the fastest-growing racial group in America, which is Asian. Relating to one another in the midst of all this diversity can be challenging. And it's not just racial. There's also religious diversity. You know, the top four faiths in the world, top four religions have remained the same. Christianity, Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist. What has changed is, according to Pew Research, 28% of adult Americans are no longer affiliated with the faith in which they were raised. They've either chosen a different faith or no faith at all which is why 25% of American adults claim no religious affiliation, none at all. How do we relate to one another in the midst of such religious diversity? Then you lay on top of that the political diversity that we find in our country today. How do we relate to one another in this soundbite, headline-driven, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat world? We think about all of the diversity that we find in our communities, our country, and in our world today. It can make it very difficult to relate to one another. You know, how do we do it? What's the answer? You know, 20 years ago, there were people that wore a plastic band on the wrist as a reminder of how to do that. Some of you may recall that wristband had four letters on it, WWJD. Do you remember that marketing phenomenon around what would Jesus do? And in many ways, it became more of a, marketing phenomenon than it did a theological and faith phenomenon. Sometimes we dismiss that glibly, but it really is an important question. It really is a, a way that we can help answer how we relate to one another. What would Jesus do? And so this morning, we're going to consider Two passages of scripture, two short statements by Jesus that are going to help us better understand how he calls us to relate to one another. The first one should be familiar, comes to you from Luke chapter 6 verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. The second comes from Matthew the 23rd chapter, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Most of us have heard that throughout our lives. In fact, it may be one of those statements and sayings that has been utilized and spoken so many times, we may wonder, where did it really come from? What is the origin? Well, it actually is Jesus. We have plenty of examples throughout history of of these phrases and these thoughts and these ideas that we ascribe to Jesus, that we ascribe to the Bible. I kind of call them, they're almost biblical because we think they're there, but they're not. But this one is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, most of us, when we hear this, a lot of times we take kind of the the negative interpretation of this. We think about, let's don't do things to others because we don't want them done to us. You don't want to be hit, don't hit. You don't want to be lied to, don't lie. You don't want to be yelled at, don't yell. Many of us have have grown up with this type of instruction. I mean, I know that I did, and I I know that in many ways, and the way that we reared our children, it, it was that. A lot of the behavior that is reinforced is the behavior of omission. Don't do this. But Jesus is pretty clear. Do. Do unto He's encouraging us to be proactive. Let it to be a behavior of commission, not omission. So instead of, I'm not going to do any harm, do some good. Instead of, I'm not going to be critical, be encouraging. There's a balance. There's plenty of do's and don'ts. I know when we were raising our children, there was don't bite, there was don't hit, don't take that from him. There were also do's. Say please, say thank you, time to share, let Billy have a turn. So there is this balance between the do's and the don'ts. But Jesus, instructing us in how we relate to one another, is focused on the do. Offer that forgiveness. Extend that kind word. Give when it's not asked of you. Jesus wants our faith to be one of active behavior, not avoidance. Now, we we do have to throw a caution in here because he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And if we focus in on the last half, as they would do to you, we have to be careful that we aren't acting, that we aren't behaving, that we aren't relating to others in a way that is based solely on what we think we can get. That we're going to behave in a way because we expect something in return. We're going to do this for that. Kind of the quid pro quo. We have to be careful that it doesn't become a place of manipulation. A place of behaving in such a way that we're going to get something. Because Jesus is clear that that's not the case. He's telling us to do Because we have words recorded later on the night of his betrayal in the Gospel of John when Jesus is sitting with the disciples. He's having that last conversation. He says, you know what? People are going to know you followed me. People are going to know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And love is not a behavior of omission. Love is a behavior of commission. Do unto others. And part of the foundation of this do is what's there for us in Matthew. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the foundation of that is humility. Jesus believed firmly that through servant leadership, through humbling ourselves in the way that we serve God and serve others, it is then that we can truly make an impact in our relationships with one another. And it was C.S. Lewis who said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there's a difference. Often we can get the idea that that humility means I'm not worthy. This isn't something I should be doing. I don't have the skills to do this. It's kind of this, this way that we're going to retreat and don't feel like we should be part of that. But Jesus is saying, no. You've been created in the image of God. You need to think well of yourself. Just think of yourself less. In the context of this conversation with Jesus in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, it's fascinating because his time on earth is drawing to a close, and this conversation is one that he's having with the disciples but also with the crowd that has followed. And this crowd that has followed is that they're interested in Jesus. They've heard and seen enough that they think favorably of him. They want to hear more. They want to experience him more. So Jesus is speaking to a friendly crowd. And part of what he's telling them is, you know, the, the Pharisees, Jesus admits, he says, you know, theologically, I don't have a lot of issue with the Pharisees. Because for the most part, they're pointing you in the right direction. They're giving you good theological instruction that you're to be a priestly nation. You're to be holy and good. Everybody should strive for that. Everybody should want to be a part of that. Jesus is saying the Pharisees' instructions in this regard are on point. What's not on point is their behavior. Because while they are providing instruction that's heading you down the right path, pointing you in the right direction, they are making it so incredibly difficult for you to accomplish what it means to be a priestly and holy nation. It's kind of at the root of do as I say, not as I do. That's where the Pharisees were. Their behavior. What they were modeling did not align with what they were saying. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You need to have humility. Because for the Pharisees, it was about the place of honor. It was about having the seat that was most respected. It was about their being looked to as the authority. Jesus, one of the disciples in the crowd, to know you're heading in the right direction. But there has to be this sense of humility. Robert Roberts writes the story of a, a game, almost an experiment that took place in a fourth grade class. The teacher brought all the students together, instructed them they were going to play a game. She called it balloon stomp. Every student was to have a balloon tied to their ankle, to their lower leg, and that the object of the game was to pop everyone else's balloon, but to protect your own. Can you imagine that? Do you have the visual of fourth graders playing this game? You know, there's going to be those ultra-aggressive students that they are just going to go right after. And then there's going to be those timid, shy students that it's going to be like a sixth-grade dance. They're going to be stuck to the wall, hoping that nobody will see them, that they don't have to interact. But, but their balloons don't stand a chance either. And so the game is over quickly. And you, you know that the person who won was the most aggressive and ultimately disliked child in the room. You know? Because if you're going to win that game, you've got to be rude and pushy and aggressive. Played the exact same game with another group of fourth graders. Now, these fourth graders each ha- had a slight mental disability they had a slight challenge when it came to, to school and the schoolwork and they were given the same instructions they were just given the balloon they was tied around the ankle, the lower leg and they were told the object is to pop the balloons And they said go And while they had the same instructions, they heard the object of the game differently. For what they understood was it was the balloons that were to be popped. The person who had the balloon was not the target. The idea is to get rid of the balloons. And they watched as the students began to play. This one girl knelt down. And she set her balloon out in front of her so another student could step on it. And then the next child held their balloon out so somebody else could come and step on it. And one by one, they eliminated the balloons. To When they got to the end, they all cheered. Mission accomplished. See, the goal wasn't to eliminate somebody from the game. The goal was to pop the balloons. I wonder who got the game right. You know, so often in life, there is a balloon stomp mentality. There's this idea if, if someone has success, if someone has achievement, that means there's less opportunity for me to have success, for me to experience achievement. You know, there can only be one top dog, and when that top dog gets there, there's usually this idea, this mentality that I'm going to do everything I can to stay here. I'm not going to lose this seat. And so many organizations, so many companies fail to thrive because they have a balloon stomp mentality. The expectations in the church are different. We are here to raise up Jesus not ourselves. We are here to exalt Jesus' purposes, not our own. And the way we do that is by continually raising up Jesus Christ in praise and humbling ourselves in the way that we love and serve one another. With all that's taking place in the public square these days, the lack of discourse, the online bullying that takes place from keyboards across cyberspace is rooted fundamentally in a lack of humility. In this idea that I should think of myself Less. See, the Pharisees were not going to think of themselves less. And that's why Jesus took exception with their behavior, with their actions. Because, you see, for Jesus, it was about living an other-focused life. That's why he kept talking about the kingdom of God. Because the Pharisees were not focused there. Pharisees were focused on their lives and their station and their position. And that's why Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God it's like ten bridesmaids who bring their lamps. The kingdom of God is like a king who throws a banquet for a son. The kingdom of God is like a landowner who plants a vineyard kingdom of God the kingdom of God the kingdom of God and that's why we need to do unto that's why we have to be focused on the kingdom of God and how we serve one another There's so many challenges in this world of how we relate to one another. There's such diversity. Diversity that needs to be celebrated because we have all been made in the image of God. We all have so much to offer. We just have to make sure That it's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Can we make a commitment and acknowledge that's not about us? It's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. And can we commit to do unto with an other-focused life? Do unto by living an other-focused life for the kingdom of God, For the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. God, we first just ask your forgiveness for those moments and times in life where it does become about us and we lose sight of living an other-focused life. It doesn't seem enough to give thanks for the life of Jesus, who modeled for us an other-focused life that gives us eternal life, that gives us hope and grace and love and forgiveness. So our prayer this morning is that indeed you will be exalted and lifted high, and that through that, We can do unto by living an other-focused life. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.